Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, guys. Uh, could I ask uh, Carl again? Can somebody emailed me from the group, and they said that the transcript cost, especially for something so small, would be in the order original transcript cost of $3.65, federal court reporting program fees, and that the total cost might be 30 to 30 bucks. Uh, is there a way, because uh, even the win, it, like I said, how to, how people learn is through wins, and they, a lot of people seem very interested in your win. So could well, you? The only, the, the only value a transcript has in my approach is for the educational value, because I'll tell you something, we don't need transcripts in my approach. Uh, like you said, it's good for education. So I don't know. I don't know why people don't get them when people win. Because, like I said, what what happened? Let's say with the, the thing in Eng- what happened in England. Basically, the other side talked from ten o'clock in the morning till two o'clock. We basically just had the closing argument. The judge retired for an hour, hour and a half, and he came out with his ruling. The ruling was count one: harassment, guilty, guilty as charged. Uh, Crown versus Jones in two thousand. Uh, Crown versus Harry, 2002. Crown versus uh, Peta, 2013. Count two. Terrorism, guilty. Guilty as charged. So like I said, all you're going to hear is the other side presented their case, and they prevailed. We presented our case, and we prevailed. And the only reason why we walked out is because we weren't in France. If we were in France, it's a code society. And the code society, everybody who lives upon that land, subscribes to being held in control of a code. In a common law, we all hold the belief that we only owe a duty and an obligation to our fellow man, not to a legal code. Right. So so what would be the benefit of having a transcript because for the first five hours, you would only hear the legal society bringing forth their case, which they were 100% correct. Okay, then, you're actually, uh, you're, you have a point there. Uh, do you have the case number so that uh, somebody wants to get the transcript? They can yeah, access it themselves. Well, I'm so. sorry, I, I can ask Gus, and Gus, hopefully Gus is listening. I said that's where you folks are having, seems to be running into a roadblock, getting compensation or getting any kind of results where a child is actually walking across the courtroom back into the mom's arms. Well, where we run into trouble is the, is the, uh, the clerks are not filing the judgments, but rather they're, uh, shuttling them over to the judge, and the judge is just interfering. Well, like I said, let me give you that simple example of Jesse and Jonathan. Jonathan um, made some very interesting films at one time, and he was uh, he's black and white up there in Canada, and Jesse was a very interesting dancer up there, and they had four children taken away, and they had gun and drug charges on them. And when they went to court, there was 20 affidavits into the court from the police officers, foster care providers, social workers, uh, child psychiatrists, and teachers. When she stood up in the open court and I said, uh, just say one sentence, I was robbed of my property from that woman right there. The judge was going to say, so you're robbed. Why were you robbed? Regardless why I was robbed, you know, I don't care why I was robbed. It's your duty, 
restore my property immediately. It's like he's, she said, I require you to restore my property immediately. And the judge said the court will be in recess. So they waited out in the lobby until 5 o'clock till they were told to go home. You could hear this recording from this lady from her own voice. She's like Canadian. And somebody did the transcript, which was beautiful because they even added her A's. And then the judge said A, and then the judge A. So somebody actually transcribed everything that she said to me on the show. So they said at 8 o'clock, 8.30 in the morning, they were told to come back to Crown Court up there in um, New Brunswick. So they said when they walked across, across the Queen's bench in the lobby, the, the Crown barrister walked across the lobby and picked up that little five-sentence ditty thing that I wrote. And he said, who wrote this? And she said, well, she did. And he looked this, okay, because I make everybody write their claims in handwriting. No typewriters. And everything comes in blue ink by the hand of man. No typewriting. My claims never come in typewriting. You could attach the claim behind the claim in typewriting, especially if your handwriting's atrocious, but always make it in the hand of man. So she, the guy's like, okay, fine. You, you wrote this thing, but what does this mean? And she said, it means you give me back my children now. He's like, well, okay, fine. Is that what you think this okay. said, Well, tell whoever wrote this was scared shitless, and when do you want your property returned? She said, immediately. He's like, well, we took your four kids and scattered them to the four corners of the province because we had no intention on ever having you ever... They never even got to see their children in either five months or seven months they were held. They wouldn't let any members of their family even visit their children. That's how bad they had it out for these husband and wife. So like I said, I wasn't helping a librarian. I wasn't helping a school teacher. I wasn't helping a doctor. I was helping somebody who danced in um, Puss in Boots clubs and man who made very interesting films, and they had guns and drugs in their house. And all she had to walk into court was say, I require the immediate restoration property. And he said, the Crown prosecutor actually said to them, he said, you know, all 20 affidavits were removed from the case file immediately. Because once you reported a crime, the judge is a mandated reporter, and he has to tell a local prosecutor that he heard of a crime that was committed in, in his court, witnessed by a woman. The woman said that I was robbed of property. And pointed him, so I required to return my property immediately. And he had no other choice. So, when he said, "Can you give us until at least the end of the week before we return your property?" She said, "That'll be fine." It's that quick, that easy. They know the. They hated these this couple. They hate this couple was part of um, oh that uh, divine province madness nonsense. They had their own driver's licenses. They had their own uh, license plates. These people were berserkos. The Canadian government had no problem smashing the husband when he testified in court. He talked for an hour and a half all this crazy divine madness nonsense. But as soon as she walked up and pointed across the courtroom and said, that woman robbed me of my property and I require you to return my property immediately. That was it. The judge said, don't you want to know why you robbed her? Why do I care why I was raped? Why do I care why I was robbed? Do your job. Do your duty. Restore my property immediately. And it's that simple. If, if you go before a judge and and the state or a centralized government is controlling your property. Only reason why any man, the man has gotten together since the time began, since caveman time, to form governments is to secure and protect each other's property. That's it. That's that's mandate route number one. So all you have to do is tell an officer of the government that is my property. Your mission statement is to secure and protect my property. There is no other man or woman upon this land who's going to walk into this court and say, that's my property. I'm the only one who's ever going to do it. And if somebody wants to claim that's their property, tell them where they could find me. Because until then, that property is mine. It belongs to a man or woman. It's mine. Give it back. I'm claiming it. Carl, let me ask you both this. 
Uh, one thing that Bill has that I haven't seen in your papers uh, is uh, law of the case. What source material, what papers, what, uh, with Bill, everything is backed up. I see, um, you know, sometimes people have laws of the case that are like five pages long with all the, with all the source material, with all the citations, everything. What source material, Carl, do you use? Where do you get your source material from? Why isn't it attached to your paperwork? Or is it, I mean, I ha I've seen what I've seen, uh, which is what you have posted. There wasn't any. You have a lot of notices. That's, but, it, that's um, it. You said it, notices. When, when the court clerk errors, say the court clerk trespasses upon my case, say she's doing something out of turn, something that I did not consent to, say she's deciding to move it in a certain manner or or they're thinking about even giving an opinion. They're even trying to direct me in a certain manner. I'll give a notice to cure the trespass immediately. I'll explain to her that you do not have the status of the physician to interfere with this matter, with this case. It is between I and the other side. Do not interfere. I give a notice. I said, look, I'll give you the opportunity to cure it. You know, do not trespass upon this case. There's only two wrongs as far as I'm concerned in court. It's trespass and trespass on a case. And you are committing a trespass on a case. Leave this case sealed until it gets before the jury. Do not interpret it. Do not try to decipher it. I know what's going on, and the other party knows what's going on. They are doing the wrong. I know what they've done wrong. Don't you try to get in in the midterm here and try to figure out, well, Paul, maybe they didn't do anything. Look, I know what he did wrong. He knows every element of the case. Like, say it was me and Bill over pool tiles. I don't have to explain what happened on the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, the 500 days. I don't have to give it in great detail in paper and writing. He knows what I agreed on. I know what he agreed on. He didn't do it. I didn't do it. Whatever, we're going to take it before the jury. I don't need a court clerk, a judge, a magistrate. I don't need anybody to try to get in between me and him. We're going to take it before the jury. We agree to meet out in front of the jury. The case is to remain sealed until we get it before the jury. We will open up the case in front of the jury, and we'll let the jury determine it. The judge can sit off to the side somewhere behind us. Here in Virginia, the judge sits behind you. He doesn't sit to the left of you or the right of you. Here in Virginia, the judge will sit behind you, and he just bears witness while you're performing in front of the jury. So you don't see the value of source material like treatises or fundamental no. principles that back up? And support. I'll perform it before the jury. I'll explain to the jury where I get my beliefs from. When I speak, I don't want anybody to object. I'm going to say, see, down here in Virginia, this is what we do. I'll speak, and then the other side will speak. And I'll shut up, and I'll let him put on his case. He'll put so like watching somebody do American Idol. Two contestants, one person will open up their case, put on their suit, and try it on before the jury, and the jury will say, hmm, nice case, nice suit, hmm, that's all right, nice nice accoutrements, nice, that's nice. And now we let the other side put on their case, and you shut up, and you just let the other side perform. Let them tap dance. Let them, let them convince the jury that their case should prevail. Let no, but you're the tribunal, and you're not putting it before a jury. Don't you back it up with supporting documentation that would, like, uh, have you seen Bill's? Uh, I've never seen a jury just read documents. I've never seen a jur jury read 50 pages. No, no, I've never you're seen not anybody. Going to a you're not doing it. It's your court, so you're not going to a jury. You, do, you make a decision. Bill, what's your, what's your feeling about 
the um, law of the case and how important do you feel it is for establishing your common law court of record? Well, basically, let me say this. I've had a number of times where the opposition has demanded a jury, but at the last moment, they always back out. I've never had a jury, okay? I've never worked out the jury procedure because it's never, simply never happened. They always back out at the last minute for me. And uh, my theory is is that they think the judge is going to support the attorneys against an improper. But what I do is I always put myself in the position of being the tribunal of the court. And, and so they do and say whatever they're going to do and say. And when I write the judgment, I put in uh, all the reasoning process. And at 1215.org slash Q, there is a judgment there that you can look at and see what I do. You know, I'm the decider. They're manipulating the language. So, like, if you look at the United States Supreme Court, they asked their opinions a while back, what is the number one book that you folks use to interpret the law? Interpret? They said Webster's 1828. Well, there was a, uh, a, a whole article that I referenced on the website where this man did a study of the use of dictionaries in the Supreme Court. And now, what do you think of Webster's 1828? Well, it is one man's collection of, of information, but it's not final. Do you think it's well, pretty decent? You have to understand that words are form, not substance. So the ultimate criteria was what was the intent of the parties and, and what was in their minds. And words are mere representations of what was in their mind. So when you conduct a case, you cannot just rely on a dictionary. You have to actually dig into what was the perspective of each of the parties. Do you believe Webster's 1828 is a pretty decent source that the United States Supreme Court is using? I don't have that kind of knowledge. I can't say or yea or nay. All I can say is, is that based on the, the research done by this person, that uh, they will consider it, but it's not the last word. Okay, uh, that's what I'm saying. They use many sources, but I'm saying, would you use it as a source? Yes, the same as the Supreme Court does. I, I look at it as okay. a source of ideas about what words mean. But You've got to go look at the London Times reviews in 1829 and see what those people at that time, in that contemporary time, thought about how Noah was totally perverting and twisting the English language from what they had established since, like, 1215, how he manipulated the words into such a convoluted manner. It's like, where in this world does this one man get off changing the whole entire structure of the English language? He is reinterpreting words in such a ridiculous manner. We have no idea where he's coming with this. What I'm saying is just because Noah Webster, maybe he had something going on with the legal society. Maybe something nefarious was going on there. But if you read the reviews, you'll see that they were saying that this guy is manipulating the English language in such a manner they have no idea why he's doing what he's doing and where he's coming up with these crazy beliefs and concepts. So when people say that, well, call Lentz, well, you wrote a law dictionary, didn't you? Yes, I did. Well, what gives you the capacity to interpret it for us? It's like no different than Noah Webster believed he had the capacity to do it in such a manner. So what I'm trying to say is you've got to be very careful 
like to me, I'd rather use Sam Johnson or Samuel Johnson's or Jay Johnson's interpretation because of the dictionaries they wrote, because that's what was available in 1750, 1770, the people who wrote the Constitution. That's the dictionaries they were using. So what I'm trying to say is I'm very, very leery of using documents because who manipulated the document in, in such a manner to benefit who? Because if there's 5,000 cases this year and 4,099 4, cases man prevailed, the one case where the legal society prevailed, that will be the opinion, that will be the precedent, that will be the citation, that will be the case law that they reference in their books. Okay. They're not going to use the 4,099 cases where the legal society lost. It doesn't benefit them to bring up the wins. Well, that's why we have unpublished cases in America. What I'm saying, that's why you just laugh when somebody says to use the case law precedent citations because I guarantee if there's anything that will harm the legal society's status, position, authority, or power over man, it's going to be removed from their book. You're not going to see it. Well, that's true. However, the case law does have some value. It, it is a guide, okay, which you can accept or reject. Right, but the victor writes the history book. Well, we understand that, yes. Right, so obviously the legal society is going to write the history book in a way that makes them appear to prevail over man all the time. However, they, if you look at Supreme Court writings, you'll see that the opposition gets a chance to put in its two cents worth, maybe worth one cent. Well, like, like I said, man, there was a lot of really good Supreme Court justices, like Scalia. He, he's, he's unbelievable. He's great. Judge Frankfurter, he was unbelievable. So if you read some of their opinions... These were down-to-earth people. These were people who were really on the side of man. You know, so it's it's nice that, you know, that they give wonderful opinions, you know, and uh, but again, they'll admit, they're the first ones to admit, this is just my opinion. Exactly. You know, people ask me, Paul, is what you're saying is true? I said, no, I don't know what the truth is, but I don't know what is true. Only God knows what's true. God is only allowing me to bear witness to certain facts and evidence at this time. And I'm, I'm putting this my opinion together in some sort of manner that hopefully I can convey to my fellow man. Do I know what's true? I'm not God. I'm not sovereign. I don't possess God-like qualities. I am restricted by certain rules of law, like the law of gravity. Your claim is somewhat contradicted by Genesis chapter 3. Okay. Like I said, the Bible is a wonderful law book. It's a wonderful guidebook, but I don't quote Bible because I was not there and how many versions of the Bible have been changed since 2012 2013 how many versions have come out well I leave I leave God and Bible and other religions out of my lawsuits so do I but they are a philosophical guide for sure of course if if you look at Genesis uh, chapter 3 which is the story of Adam and Eve there's a point there where God says Behold, the man has become as one of us in that he knows good and evil. So right there, man has achieved equality with God in knowing the difference between good and evil. Right, but like I said, we can only know what we can bear witness to. You know, we don't know what's true. Only God knows what's true. We can't know all. All we can know is what God has allowed us to witness. And that's all I do to people. I just tell them, look, this is what I've witnessed in my 51 years on planet Earth. I am just giving you an observation and opinion of what I would do. Now, what you do, you know, God bless you. Do as you wish. 
I am telling you this is what seems to work for me. If I was in a Muslim, a Muslim country, Islamic country, I'd be professing uh, Sharia law. If I lived in France or Germany, I would give you Napoleonic code until it came out of my ears. God bless me, I live in a common law land. Thank God I was born here, birthed here, raised here, reared here. I am from this land. Thank God I've got the ability to convey to my fellow man my beliefs. And hopefully my beliefs are their beliefs. And your beliefs are rooted in the Vikings. Right, and like I said, thank God my dad was German and could not read or write English, and he taught me all of what I'm teaching you, not no, teaching everybody. And, you know, I'm not just teaching you per se, I'm just saying. My dad could not read or write one lick of English, but he passed it down from his dad, from his dad, from caveman time. We've prevailed in Germany in little hobbits and little enclaves and little mountain pockets for tens of thousands of years with no reading or writing skills. Somehow we pulled it off without any constitution. Somehow we did it. Germany's been only a country for 110, 120 years. It worked. It, and they didn't require reading. It didn't require then, a Bible. And then came the Romans, and then came the barbarians. But what I'm saying is my dad was one of the old style of Germans. They, there's 10,000 different languages, 10,000 different dialects of German down there. What I'm trying to say is they don't require the Quran, the Bible, they knew how to act like a man just by being. Can I, let me ask you this. Uh, with your concepts, with both your concepts, as I as one of the people, I a man, courts of record, uh, laws of the case, how can you work with someone that is behind bars? Since more and more in, in increasingly number, in numbers these people are being incarcerated, uh, and, and I don't really want an argument here. They're uh, wrongfully incarcerated because there's no injured party, and that's the key. And how do you work from behind those? This is where I think your minds can always, if you put them together or somehow try and get something going to get these people out, and be productive because uh, it's so much more difficult to work on being a man from behind them as a bars because they have you. So what procedure, what process can one employ to try and get these people out? They're the ones that are injured by these people behind the mask of the state or behind the mask of the federal government. Well, I hope Billy agrees with me. I hope Billy agrees that he has done nothing and I have done nothing but argue the entire time. Do you, you understand what agree, argue means an argument, right, Bill? Right. To argue means to bring the truth forward, to make it transparent, to make something shine through, to make it clear. So argument, you say, well, you don't want an argument from us. Ma'am, I hope you do, because we're here to bring it forward, to bring it transparent, to make it crystal clear to bring light through. See, this is what I'm saying. The legal society and the public school system are dumbing you folks down by saying, well, you're not going to stand here and argue with me. The judge will say, you're not going to hear and argue with me. Watch what a judge will do. My, two of my friends are judges. The judge will say something simple like, uh, are you going to argue? Are you, are you coming in here to argue? And if you say uh, no, they'll say, fine, then he's going to rule for the other side. 
You better be in here to argue. You better be in here to bring it forward. You better bring here to bring your case. You better bring the light through. You better bring here to polish it, to shine it. You better be here to argue. Because if you're not here to argue, there's no controversy. And I'm going to give it to the other side. So you've got to be careful with the words. So that's why I thought it was so important, like I said, Bill, I wrote like a dictionary. Because I'm showing you folks like 10, 20 words that Bill would probably laugh at that too. How long does it take to train a judge to be a judge? 95% of them, it takes one writ of error. Well, well, I'm saying two of my friends became judges, and I used to do barbecue with them, one man in Alabama on Thursday nights. He called me up on Sunday and says, I I've got a, uh, I can't do barbecue with you this Thursday call. So why not? He said, well, I remember I won the election back in November. I said, oh, yeah, you're honorable. You're the honorable uh, Mr. Summers now, huh? honorable Summers. He's like, he says, i got to go to judge school. I said, oh, where's judge school? He said, over at the state capitol. I said, well, how long does it teach a man or woman who wins an election to be a judge. He said, well, they said it only takes three days. I said, well, you can meet up with me on Thursday like we always do. He said, well, I might have some questions. on that. I just don't want to push it, so how about we do it next week? I said, okay. So it takes three days from a man or woman to be elected as a judge in, like, say, the state of Alabama, probably California, too, three days to get all the training that they need to know how to occupy that bench and control the court. Isn't that amazing? Not three years not they got to get through three semesters of some sort of training, three days. That's why this is so simple. There's only so much they could teach these men and women in three days. And I'm trying to teach people this is all they're taught. This is what they look for. This is the words that they try to hear from the other side. And I've had people go into courtrooms and they report back to me and say, oh, my God, Carl, those words that you're telling us to look for, we hear them like a thousand times. Yeah, that's it. It's a very simple script, a very simple dialect, very simple. And you guys are over-complicating this. If we're, if we're over-complicating it or, if what you're refer, or whoever you're referring to is over-complicating it, back to the incarcerated. How can we apply something? Bill, what's your feeling on this? How can we work together to do something that's simple, especially with your one form, one page, but, Bill, with your law of the case, how can we work? Uh, we're using some people right now. I'm working with you on some people right now, uh, Bill. But how can we apply something? Because they're the ones that are injured. They're the ones behind the bar. And the state or the fiction is not the injured party. So they have to get out. So how can we work to get them out? More and more people are being arrested wrongfully, are being abused, being physically abused and getting away with it. These cops are, get, are doing abusive tactics to arrest people. So what can you suggest we work on to try and get these people out? Well, I'm interested in the solution, and I do not worship my approach. And Carl seems to have a more efficient approach. I'd like to know more about it. And I think he should uh, also look into what I do. He should know more about what I do and not so much apply his technique as a criteria on my technique, but rather look at it as a different way. And then in our brains, we merge these concepts together so that we can close off any loopholes or whatever the opposition thinks. A family in Idaho I talked to yesterday, they got their brother back. 
because they did the very simple method that I use. They made a claim for their property. That's it. You've got to understand. Man got together since caveman time to protect okay. and secure each other's property. They went and they wrote and said, that's our property. Please release it from custody. The state who did they, who did, who did they put, write it to? And put it back into the family. Well, they, they wrote it to the, uh, to the Secretary of State. They had to explain to the Secretary of State, which is supposed to be acting on the benefit of the people. You know, I don't tell people to bother writing to the governor. I said write to the Secretary of State. Well, the Secretary of State is a record keeper, basically, right? Exactly. You know, the governor is supposed to represent the people. The Secretary of State is the one that the governor goes to when he says, okay, what do I do with this? The Secretary of State will say, okay, it goes to the Department of Treasury, or this goes to the Department of Finance. The Secretary of State is supposed to be like the coordinator. So, like I said, it just make a very simple claim that the state is in possession of one of our citizens, because a citizen actually literally means, in Latin, a member of my family. So a citizen is a member of the family. So when you're a citizen, you're a member of a family. Like, say, if you're a citizen of the United States, Barack Obama is the head of the United States government, so you have the daddy would be, Barack Obama would be your daddy. If you're a, you're a citizen, you are a member of a family. So all they did was make a claim that, just like if you had said, um, like an Indian reservation, you know, there's a citizen, you've got to release them and let them go back to their nation, go back to their people, go back to their family, because we don't have a right to claim their citizens. That's their family. That's their society. That's their people. You've got to let them come back. So that's basically what I just try to do with people like that. Just right to the Secretary of State, says the state of Minnesota, the state of Idaho, is holding a member of, you know, my family and my property. I require its immediate release. So, like I said, I talked to these two brothers yesterday on the phone for a couple hours, and uh, they're some interesting guys. But they're trying they're trying some interesting stuff. They've listened to your stuff, uh, Bill. I study books massively, too, but I always got back to the basic, simple concept. What would my dad do? He didn't read or write. What would my grandfather do? They didn't read or write. What would they do? How did they make it through all these centuries without a book in their hand? How did they survive as a people? How did they know how to act like a man? and treat another man without just totally marauding, killing, and slaughtering each other? How, do, how did they exist as a society? How did they do this without a book? Like yesterday, I talked for three hours to a 24-year-old woman, and her um, she had lost her child to uh, the Canadian government. And I gave her a very simple you know, analogy. I said, what happens if the judge whips out a sword and says, okay, I'm going to give half to you and half to your mother. What do you do? And her and her boyfriend had no clue where that story came from. They had no idea. They had no idea. I was talking about Solomon. They had, I said, didn't you ever yeah. hear this story before, ma'am? She's 24 years old. She's like, no. I said, ask your boyfriend. No. I said, how no. could you be 24 years old and live in a Judeo-Christian land, and if the judge pulls out the sword and says, I'm going to cut the baby in half, what do you do next? She said, well, I just keep claiming I want my property restored. I said, um, he's going to give you a count of three. So I'm just going to keep saying I want my property restored. I said, ma'am, no. She said, well, what should I do? I said, ma'am, I'm not going to tell you. I said, there's a reason why I see why your child was taken. You have no skills whatsoever as a man or woman how to secure and protect your property on planet Earth. You have no guidelines in which you're relying upon. Once you obtain this piece of property, this little darling child, you don't know how to protect it. You don't know how to secure it. 
I said, you have got no guidelines in the past. You know, I didn't tell it comes from the Bible. I didn't tell it, well, you either jump in front of the child and take the sword and tell the other woman, take the baby and run. This king is crazy. Grab the baby and run. I'm going to take the sword. Or just say, give the baby to the other woman. Don't kill the baby. She didn't know how to answer me. So like I said, I'm dealing with people, Bill, that don't read or write or basically have any, like, ethical background or training. So I'm de- dealing with people who are, like, clueless. Right, so I got to make everything I do in one, if if it's two syllables, I got to try to figure out how to do it in one syllable. Me Tarzan, that my bone. Give Tarzan back bone. That's how I got to write this paperwork for these people. But you got to understand, ninety nine percent of the people that are in trouble are C spot run people. So that's who oh. I'm trying to get to. I'm trying to get to the people that are C spot run. Yeah. So just ask for the property, the restoration of your property, tell the state you have possession of my property. Like it's a grandson or a child in prison, just say, look, I'll compensate the state for the wrong, tend to me the bill, the bill of particulars, but restore my property immediately. That's all. Cut a deal. It's all about money to people anyway. I see the proper way to get people out is to do a proper habeas corpus where you are filing suit against the inferior court to produce the damaged party upon which they claim they have the right to put another man, one of the people, into a jail to begin with because under the common law, there's no harm, there's no crime. So do you think habeas doing that in a family fight between courts is a good way to get somebody out of jail, particularly when there's been no damage party? I I don't think so. Uh, the problem with habeas corpus is that the two courts, the equity courts and the com- uh, common law courts, have been merged into one operational unit, even though constitutionally they're recognized as separate. And so the government hates habeas corpus, and they will do a knee-jerk denial. So I think that the, the most effective approach, using my approach, is to put their paychecks at risk. Okay. So to go ahead and file civilly and do it as... Yeah. Now what... Go ahead. Individuals. Well, there's a couple ways of looking at it. You know, the uh, if you do a habeas corpus, you're basically giving going after them with no risk to them. They will look at it as, well, maybe there's too much trouble or something and they'll finally let go. But that doesn't really work that well. But still, that's one way of looking at it. The other way to look at it is is uh, you do a habeas corpus, and then once you get their defaults or admissions or something like that, you can then sue them because of that admission. It's an, a point that's no longer arguable. Right. That was actually the... Approach that I was going to, that's the approach that I was going to take because I wanted them to go ahead and default and say, hey, yeah, look, they didn't, no one ever came with proof of a damaged party. I told them exactly what they needed to bring um, and the time allotted to do it, and they never did it. And I have copies of all the paperwork and I have copies that everybody got served and so on and so forth, and then take all that and roll it up and put it as an exhibit A into a court of record action of trespass and go after their paychecks. What does Carl think of this? 
what court did he place that habeas corpus in? Did he place it into an administrative court? No, I would have. I, what, what I stated it as was a superior court of the state of Illinois. If they don't acknowledge that that document even exists within their procedures, if you're in superior court, then you're bound by their rules. If habeas corpus doesn't exist in a, a district court or in a superior court, they're looking at it as gibberish. They don't recognize it, that it has any standing. Are you in their court or are you at their court? I filed it in the record. Not at. No, okay. Well, it wasn't a court of record. Where, where did you file it? Did you file it in or at? I said I was at such and such a court, but that this matter was in the superior court. Okay. Well, like I said, if it's in the superior court, then it's an element. If it doesn't exist within their terminology, within their term of art, they don't recognize it. It has to be part of their procedures if you're in the superior court. Okay, and what, what to me, what, what does habeas corpus mean to you? Let me put it that simply. It means produce the body. They produce the body in superior court. As far as they're concerned, that man had his day in court. No, that's not what it means. There's various different habeas corpuses. There's at least... Okay, so tell me what it means. Tell me what it means. Tell me what it means. And the kind of habeas that I specifically wrote out was a habeas in which the superior court files suit against an inferior court for exceeding its jurisdiction. That's the type of habeas that I filed. I filed one specifically to go after their inferior court for, for jurisdiction. Okay, are you relying upon some habeas corpus act? Is that what you're relying upon? Which one? It's 1679. Which habeas corpus act in particular are you relying upon? I'm not relying on an act. I'm going and relying on the fact that it's a basis of the common law under the Magna Carta. Great. So uh, the habeas corpus basically... It means that you could take a man from an, uh, uh, an inferior court and bring him to a superior court. Is that what you mean? No, habeas corpus in this way is a family fight between courts. I know this, but I just Bill gave me the explanation, and it makes sense. If you're not putting their paychecks at risk, then it's probably not going to amount to a whole lot. That's fine. Let, that let, me, let me grab Bill's definition or explanation. I'm trying to get clear on this. Bill, what's your definition of a habeas corpus? Well, first of all, you don't have a legal definition. What you have is a historical definition. The king had many different courts, and the courts are just bureaucracies that like to grow and gain more territory. And so, just to use as an example, a uh, uh, an equity court might try to take on a common law issue, or a common law court might try to take on an equity issue. And so what the, the defendant could do is he could go to the other court and claim that the first court is encroaching on the second court's territory. So then the second court could grab the case and decide for itself whether or not that court, that case belongs in its, in its uh, four walls. So, so, so what I'm saying, were you, were you basically saying that the judges were doing this? The judges were... Doing this? Well, in, in the court of record, it would be the plaintiff, actually. But that, that gets into another detail. The point is is that there are the two courts that are competing. And so the, the, the second court outranks the first court in determining whether or not the second court 
is the one with the proper jurisdiction. So that that is the that kind of the definition. But in historically, well, what happened? Let me finish this because this is a, a you need the whole picture. Historically, what happened was that whenever bureaucrats basically hate each other, they they have mean streaks in them, and so assuming that the individual was not considered as the common entity of both courts, what would happen was that the the second court typically might just say, look, the first court doesn't know what it's doing. This case really belongs in the second court. And they've evaluated it and they dismiss the case, okay? They, they, they grab it, keep it, and then dismiss it. And because of the tremendous opportunity for bureaucratic uh, territorial preservation, the uh, the habeas corpus became known as the great writ of liberty. It, it had nothing to do with liberty. It had to do with the fact that one court could steal the case from another court. And so that that's really what it's about. And that's why I called it a family fight between courts. It's actually not considered a legal process. It's simply... Okay. You you present your information. It can be very informal, although they are formalizing it with time. And uh, it's the only benefit that defendants had that grew stronger with time. All other rights get weaker with time. What I'm trying to say, I'll give you my interpretation of all, all the books that I've read, you know, in previous history, why habeas corpus was so prevalent. It had nothing to do with the courts fighting over, and it had nothing to do with the plaintiffs. It was a delay tactics that the solicitors, the attorneys, the lawyers used in England to take their defendant from one point of England to another court in England. It bought them time so they could buy off a separate court. Maybe they could get them into the court of equity. Maybe the court of chancery. Maybe the court of the Queen's bench. What it was was it was their defendant's attorneys, which you guys are still like playing defendants, and you're putting habeas corpus in when you're the defendant, not the plaintiff. There's a delay tactic or a way for them to buy off a judge or get their defendant into a courtroom, into a courthouse where their defendant would be able to walk because they're going to hang over here in the court of the exchequer. But if we get in the court of the chancery, well, I got friends and relatives and hookups over here, so we're going to put in a claim of habeas corpus and transfer the body over to this court where my buddies are going to make sure you walk out if you pay me enough money. Okay, that's all habeas corpus, basically how it was played. And that's why they kind of said they they don't really do habeas corpus anymore because they like, look, you just transfer this body over to another court where you got buddies and you got friends or you got cohorts that are going to let your defendant walk. You're going to pay him enough money. This court can be bribed. We can't well, be bribed I'm, over here. Okay, well, what I'm, this is what I'm All I'm saying is what I've learned through reading for, you know, dozens and dozens of law books. You know, this is... You know, through my research, this is what, and all the Habeas Corpus Act basically says is that the plaintiff must appear. The person who's making the accusation that I've done something wrong, that person must appear and bring their claim before a court that I've done something wrong. You can't hold me in your dungeon forever, Prince. You've got to take me before the queen or duke or earl. Just because I stole an apple from your orchard doesn't mean you could hold me in prison for 20 years. You've got to take me before Queen's Bench. You've got to take me before the people. And the people will determine my fate. Not one lord, not one squire, not one prince. You must bring the plaintiff 
before the Queen's bench. You must bring my accuser before the Queen's bench so I could have my day in court. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's what the actually habeas corpus act reads, and that's like Article 5 in the habeas corpus act that the plaintiff must, the accuser must bring the man out of holding and bring him before a competent tribunal so he could be judged by the jury or by before Queen's bench, before the Queen or the King. The inferior Nisi Prius Court of Roman Civil Law has trespassed upon my substantive rights as one of the people in a common law jurisdiction. I said, do you guess what I do? I remember it, no problem. When they bring their court and their case into the public courtroom, I bring my case and I bring my claim in the same public courthouse and before the same judge or magistrate at the same time. I trump it. All I do is say, oh, you got a complaint against me? Good, I got a claim. That's it. It's simple. And who prevails? I have a claim that your court has exceeded its jurisdiction because it never had the capacity to bring me, one of the people, into a Nisi Prius inferior court of Roman civil law without any proof of me being in commerce. And we're not in commerce here. That's what I said, except I said it in C-spot run. You made it very five syllables, six syllables, seven syllables. You made it very eloquent. Just say it simple. You know, okay, I may well, I did, and I think that it wasn't just a standpoint of having the the abuse of habeas corpus. I want to use habeas corpus in a proper way, in a way that shows these. You're basically saying exactly what I'm saying. It's just very complicated. I'm just saying I'm the man and they're not. No man is going to appear. Man must appear. I win. It's that simple. Okay, so then what you're saying is that you should challenge the jurisdiction and we should do that in a way that shows that they have no jurisdiction, correct? Because no man is appearing on the other side. I, as a man, I, as an image of God, have the right to be judged by my fellow man. And no fellow man is here to make an accusation I've done any wrong. And no fellow man is here to judge me. It's so simple. Every judge knows the simple rules. All you have to do is tell the other side, oh, are we going to testify today? And if they say no, then obviously we're not in the court of record. We're in a Nisi preschool. We're in a court of no record because there's no testimony going to give today. Is that correct? Correct. Oh, well, then I evoke the right to have my ability to appear before a court of record where I can testify at the oath of affirmation, which I require the other side to do so as well. And most times, judges will say, well, we're not going to testify today, and if you want to go to a court of record, uh, you know, go someplace else. Go go to a circuit court, go someplace else, but you're not doing it here. But no, we've got to be able to have the courts of record every single time when we do our paperwork. And that's the whole point of what I wanted to discuss tonight with Bill, was exactly how do we set up that court of record that they know that we are there to testify, to bring it forward as a plaintiff and say, look, this is what's going to be on the record. You have a chance to answer. We are in a court of record, and it will be decided by either I, the sovereign plaintiff, or the jury, and get it done. That's what I want to know. What I'm saying is you guys probably thinking this is funny, but my email address is courtofrecord at gmail.com. Okay. That's That's what I do. I make sure that I'm going into a court of record. What is a court of record by your definition? Is where a man must testify before a tribunal, and another man must testify before a tribunal. 
That's all? Well, that's pretty good. I mean, you keep a recording for, for all perpetuity. That's right. That'd be nice to have a recording of it. It'd be nice whether, if you, I do not wish to let a court officer or court clerk preside over the matter, that they could just sit on the side or sit behind us and bear witness. At least going back to uh, Blackstone's commentaries, there were, there were four criteria for a court of record. It's, it's nice. I mean, English common law is a lovely belief system to have, but there's Eskimo common law in this on this land. There's, you know, if you're up there in Alaska and the Eskimos want to, you know, move their courts in that manner, you're in their territory under their jurisdiction, under their control. And I can really give a rat's behind about the English common law because they don't keep their records. What do they do? Write them on snowballs or whale's teeth? How do they keep recordings of their uh, history? Uh, Paul, Paul, Bill just asked you a direct question. He just asked you, what is your definition of a court of record? And he said, and then he gave you, he told you that there were four based upon Blackstone's commentaries. And there is based a, upon his beliefs of English common law. That's his. Okay, I'm sure there's courts of record in, in, in Eskimo land. I'm sure there's courts of record in Algonquins. I'm sure, I'm sure people have a definition in Aborigines in Australia what a court of record is. Just because that's the English common law definition of a court of record doesn't mean that's the only definition of court of record that exists on planet Earth. No, but it's the one that's commonly accepted among the trained judiciary. Uh, uh, amongst the people who understand English common law, but it has nothing to do with administrative courts. The court of record in traffic court, they will keep a recording of the trial in traffic court. They'll keep a recording yeah, of the trial. Yeah, that's exactly what a judge will tell you in court, too. Oh, yeah, well, look, David, the record. David, the record. let these people speak, David. Come on. I want an answer. Okay, just just let them speak. They, they've been very civil. That's good. Let's let's hear. Uh, Bill, what's your definition of a court of record? Well, I'm I'm taking the position as the challenger and Carl has brought up the term strongly, so I'm challenging him for for his definition. And of course I'm happy to say what mine is, but I'd like to see the hear the response to the challenge first. Well, I'm trying to say, look, I I know exactly what Blackstone says. I know the four or maybe possibly five elements of a court of record, depending on your English common law belief on it. Like I said, when you say traffic court, when you say bankruptcy court, when you say divorce court, those are all common law courts. Now you guys are going to explode. Say, no, they're not. Yes, they are. Law is just an opinion. This is the common way that they proceed in traffic court. This is the common opinions and laws that they their bylaws of bankruptcy court. These are their common beliefs and bylaws and the traditions and customs of commercial court, like a, like a bankruptcy or divorce court. That's their common law. That's their common beliefs. That's the way they operate for 10, 20, 100, 1,000 years. We can bring in Chinese law then on that basis. That's right. So this is what I'm trying to say is when I did that with the Punjabis, I said you cannot hold them liable to the English common law. You cannot hold them liable to the customs, practices, and policy beliefs of the legal society, nor the British society. They are Punjabi. You can only hold them liable to their own kind. You're going to have to put a jury of Punjabis here to say that these men have done wrong. What about my own kind in the United States? That's right. That's exactly what happened in the state of New York. There was a famous case up there in New York where a black guy from like Nigeria came over and had sex with his eight-year-old niece, and she got pregnant and gave birth at nine years old. Obviously, they arrested the man. Obviously, they wanted to crucify this uncle. 
he brought the ambassador from like Nigeria to testify on his behalf into the court and says, no, this is a great honor that he bestowed upon his niece because there's the, the birth mortality rate is like 90% in our country. So if he could get a child pregnant at a very young age, this is a great honor for her and a great honor for him that he took the time out to get this eight-year-old pregnant because we don't breed like rabbits with all the starvation and lions walking away with our children for thousands and thousands of years. This is how he was led to believe when he was young. This is the customs, practice, and policy belief of our people. He has done no wrong. So the courts in New York State had to let him go. And the people, obviously, where I'm from in New York State were outraged. They're like, this is outrageous. You just can't let these Nigerians come here and breed with eight-year-olds. It's like, look, there's nothing we could do because we live in a common law land. We have to accept other people's practices, customs, policy, and beliefs. If this man believes he's done no wrong and his own kind believes he has done a great honor and it's a wonderful thing, we've got to let him go. Even though we don't like it, he's not part of our culture or our society. We have to let him go. That argues that anybody who has a driver's license must be subject to the statutes and codes because that's our common way of looking at it, right? That's why you never have a jury in a traffic case because every single person on that jury who lives around you will say, well, that's just ridiculous because you cause no harm, injury, or loss to your fellow man. We all have to abide by these traffic codes. If we don't, we're going to have chaos and anarchy. So that's the one that you would want to just go in front of a judge. They are subject to it since they believe right. in it. And the guy who gets right. arrested for driving without a license even he agrees that the license... The judge won't understand the concept that I'd say, look, sir, you know what, honestly, I don't see the benefit of operating under the license at the time of that stop. So I was just acting as a man, and I was taking my property from point A to point B, and there is no law that requires a man to obtain a license to move his property from point A to point B. Is there? No, there isn't. So you can't hold me liable, because I've caused no harm or injury on throwing the old man-on-man common law card on the table. Well, look, we can show in black and white that non-commercial activity is not licensable as far as traffic goes. You and I are learned enough to understand commercial capacity. The people I talk to, the people that listen to my show say, I'm a man and I take my property from A to B. Now, when they ask you, not about traveling, not driving, not citation, not, 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 not case law saying about the man's right to travel. No, I take property from A to B. Can I not take property from A to B? Yes or no? Yes, you can if you follow the methods, the rules that define the methods for doing it. And they'll say, it's not my rules. I'm not a member of that society. I'm a man, and I could take my property from point A to point B any place on planet Earth I wish. And no man may stop me, and no man may interfere with me. Well, I don't think that alone is enough. You, you, you're obviously you're going to have to back it up with further argument. There's all kinds of ways, like you say, to skin a cat. Yeah, well, I've never had any luck whatsoever on the side of the road with any cops. Usually, usually, what happens is I, I either get tased or they either slam my head into the ground and give me some stitches. And the well, only thing that I've why don't you just question. accept? Why don't you just accept all of their presence as gifts? I've done that. I've said before, are you giving me an order? Are you giving me yes, 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 yes. Guess what? I still ended up in the same place, in the same jail, doing the same shit, and going into the same court 
for a long time. And you know what? I never got any compensation for it. Now, that had to work sometime here and there, but unless you show me a pattern and a way to get the compensation back by either a fee schedule or okay. filing a claim or a counterclaim. The man in Canada, the Jonathan, had his friend do that. He got stopped for DUI on a Saturday night. He carried out every single freaking order that the officer was telling him to do with a smile on his face. Oh, yes, is that another order? Oh, that's another order. Fingerprint, left, right, mugshot, left, right. Oh, that order, yay, yay, more orders. Yeah. And then on Monday morning, he, he wrote up a bill to the cops. He gave it to the uh, the prosecuting attorney and to the sergeant. And uh, he said all the charges were dropped. He gave him a $5,000 bill for carrying out all the orders. He said all the, bill, all the charges were dropped on Tuesday. And then he had the nerve to ask me, how do I get compensation? How do I get the $5,000? I said, you're out of your mind. He said, you think I'm going to teach you how to collect on a $5,000 uh, bill for, for being drunk? I said, if you collect the money, I said, what do you think the, the police in Canada are going to do from now on, the RCMP? What do you think they're going to do? They're not going to stop a single person who's drinking and driving. They're going to call up all their friends and family say, you better go off the Highway 60 because they got this drunk guy. Well, why don't you pull him over? No, because he's going to hand me a freaking bill for five grand, and it ain't coming out of my pocket. It's well, the same that's, thing that happens. That's, again, it's, it's, I mean, that's another story that I can't verify. I'm telling you the story coming directly from me. I am testifying here as what's happened to me. Okay, when you carried out all the orders and you, you got an invoice, you got, you, got, you got all these orders invoiced, right? Some man invoiced, gave you a voice, gave you commands, you carried out all the orders. When you took this bill, who did you hand this to? Who did you take this invoice to? You got this invoice. Okay, so, okay, so you're telling me that everything that you just said, all these other people created up bills. Who did you present your bill to for carrying out all these no, orders? I just asked you a direct question. You said all these other people made bills then? They made bills? Yeah, they created a bill. Great. What was the verbiage on that bill? What did that bill say? The bill just said, I carried out this order, $5. I carried out this order, $10. I carried out this order, $50. I carried out this order, $100. Who did you tender the bill to? I'm asking you, was it verified? Did, did he get it, what, notarized, or did he say it in open court? Did he just write it on a piece of paper? No. What? If he ordered for me 50, 50 pizza, pepperoni pizzas, okay, I'm going to take down your order. And I'm going to hand it to you the 50 pizzas. I'm going to carry out the order. I'm going to perform a task. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to provide a service or I'm going to provide a product. One or the other. And then I'm going to hand you a bill. That's all. That's all you do. Did you hand somebody a bill for carrying out their orders? No, you didn't. Do you, you think this whole entire equity procedure is going to happen when 12-year-olds are being shot for carrying around BB guns yes. from these people? Look, you, 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 I, could, you, could, you could skirt I'm the sorry, question. Paul, but I just cannot agree with you on this okay, in any way. That's right. You, that's right. I don't know who you are, and I don't know why you just skirt, why you just go off on a tangent somewhere. I don't know why you don't I'm answer asking, the question. I'm asking direct questions. I'm not off on a tangent. I'm asking you direct you questions. You said something about a 12-year-old. I'm talking about a bill. You said that you tried this way, you carried out all the orders, and you get tased, you get thrown in jail. Who did you hand the bill to? And I'm saying no bill was created, so I asked you a question. Why I didn't you create the bill? Why didn't you create a bill? bill? You carry, if, you, if, if I ordered you to mow my lawn, wash my car, do my grass, do my trees, and, and you carry out all these orders, you're not going to say to me, hey, uh, call, uh, uh, what's in it for me? Or where's, you know, well, tend to me the bill. How much do I owe you? Show me what you got. This is all based on commerce. The whole judicial system in this country is all based on commerce. Right. There you go. That's my point. The only way Carl Lentz is going to make money in this nation is if I fulfill an order. If I produce a product 
or I perform a service. That's the only way Carl Lentz is going to have any source of income coming to him. I've got to fulfill orders. I've got to perform for my fellow man. Everybody in this land knows that. Every cop, every judge, everybody knows that. You have to follow orders. You have to get an order. You go to McDonald's, you order a Happy Meal. That's how McDonald's makes their money. Again, you're changing the question and you're changing what I said. I said they don't have any right to trespass upon your substantive rights from going to point A to point B, and you're bringing up equity and bills and whatnot. So. No, you said to me that you, you, every time that you carry out their orders, you wind up getting a taste thrown in jail. I said, great. If you carry out orders and you're doing it with a smile on your face, say, yay, I'll, I'll make all the pizzas. I'll make everything you want. Yay. You know, is there anything else I could perform for you? Is there anything product or service I could tender to you? And you're telling me that they're, they're dishonorable people and they won't tender you payment? I'm asking you if you've ever seen anybody tender any payment in that way. Yes. What happened up in British Columbia on Mother's Day's weekend, uh, they had an emergency hearing for the judicial, for the judges up there because some guy did my nonsense when B.C., and he went to the court, and the judge ordered him to return in 30 days. And the judge, the guy said, oh, well, my hearing's not so good. Uh, uh, can you please put that in writing and uh, sign it there, judge? And he said, well, absolutely, not a problem. So when a man appeared in 30 days, he handed the judge a bill for $500. The judge said, I'm not paying this. I said, oh, you want to bet? So he said, yeah, I'll make a bet. He lost. The judge lost. The judge had to pay the guy $500. So they had an emergency okay, hearing. Okay, so the judge, no, look, no, no, let me finish. Dude, 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 dude. You, you ask me a question, I won't finish. They had an emergency hearing on Mother's Day weekend. You know how many mothers must freaking hate me that the judges were convened down there in, 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 in Victoria to have an emergency meeting and say, do not issue any more orders from the bench. Don't do it because you're going to have to compensate these clowns. The English society, the English crown, the British Empire is all built on commerce. They all know how to honor their bills. This is what I said about Gandhi. Gandhi was a lunatic. All Gandhi had to do was passively comply with any edict, any British order. When they said, don't go to the sea and produce your own salt, he should have said, fine, we're not going to go to the sea and produce our own salt. No, what did he do? He marched to the sea and they all got their heads bashed in. He should have said, hey, you know what? Who, who wrote that order? Oh, the, the Grand Viceroy of the British Tea uh, Indian Company. Oh, really? Can I see that? Is it signed by the British Viceroy? Oh, and it's even got the seal of the Queen. Oh, my sweet Lord Jesus. That's fine. None of us Hindis are going to go to the sea and, and produce our own salt. No, what we're going to do, where would you like us to buy this? Oh, at the East India Tea Company. Oh, lovely. We all got, oh, every billion Indians were all going to buy our salt from you. So what they should have done is they all should have went down to the East Indian Tea Company and bought their freaking salt and then handed the Viceroy the bill of what it costs to travel to their local East Indian Tea Company store. This guy's going to say 53 bucks. I had to take two trains and a transfer. I had to walk across the, uh, the Gobi Desert. Hey, this is what it costs. And guess what? That Viceroy would have had to pay every single one of them because they all followed orders. Well, not and the and they, they would have Gandhi did win. The British would have paid it. But the reason why Gandhi did what he did was because Gandhi was a lawyer. Gandhi knew what I knew, that the British people are very honorable people, and they all understand commerce, and they all know how to carry out orders, and they're all compensated. Even when the Queen commands a performance, she tenders payment. All they have to do is take a freaking order and require compensation, and these honorable people will compensate you. 
They have no choice. It's part of their rules. Okay, like I said before, I base everything on what I do on proof. So, proof what? Court proof case that, number. Proof that Johnny well, got everybody's head bashed in because he just didn't say to, I'll take the order, accept the order, carry out the order, then tender a bill. You don't think if the sergeant carry out the order from the general, you don't think the sergeant gets compensated for carrying out the general's order? You don't think he gets paid every week? Of course sergeants yeah. in private my get point. paid. Because okay, they get my point is, is that I don't have to take orders from anybody. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, then, don't, then, then don't take orders from anybody. Go live out in the middle of a freaking desert somewhere. Go join an island. Don't take orders. Don't make any money. Don't be part of a society. So what? Drop out. Go for it. Well, you don't want your, your head bashed in, and you've got uh, basically a lawless cop out there. I, I suggest you do take the orders and, and then uh, present the bill, and if necessary, go to the court and teach them the law there. That's, that's exactly what I just said. That's exactly what I just said. Yes, I agree. Yes. They're you honorable know, people. They'll say, did you order this man to, to do the hokey pokey on the side of the freaking highway? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Where do you think? It, oh, fine, fine. Is that what you ordered him to do? Fine. Compensate him. Pay him. You can't order a man. The 13th Amendment clearly establishes there is to be no slavery upon this land. There's no involuntary servitude. You must compensate every man for performing or producing. It's that simple. Did I perform? Yes. Did I help you with your job, Mr. Officer? Well, yes. Did I make that traffic stop only last 10 minutes so you could go out and go catch a rapist and a criminal, a real bad guy? Did I, did I help you perform your duty in your daily tasks? Did I, was I not more than cooperative? Yes. Well, then you got paid. Why don't I get paid? You provide the public a service, and so did I. There you go. As far as the bills are concerned, um, so you actually think this is for bill now? Do you think that it would actually make any sense to present a bill in equity along with a common law claim of trespass, or is that well? I wouldn't say along with. I would say afterwards. Present the bill first and see what happens. And then, as a presentment in honor and yeah. saying, "Hey, I'm giving you an opportunity to cure before I." Adjudicate. Yeah, basically, uh, a notice and demand is a bill. Okay. I know plenty of people that have written notices and demands, and they have never, ever, ever gotten anywhere. But I do feel that they are an absolute necessity as an Exhibit A in a court at law. Well, it, it shows it, it, that you give the opportunity for them to cure it without being brought into the public beforehand. Well, the first question you ask in the regular courts is, did you make a demand before you got to the court? Okay. Did you bring it forward? That's due process, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Carl has some interesting ideas that we should pay attention to. I would like to see anything that he says be fleshed out and be shown to work. If he can do that, I'm with it, too. But I do not, under any circumstances, listen to anybody's talk without backing it up. I am done with that. Proof okay, of claim. Okay, the, the three women who got their kids back recently, are you telling me that they're liars? 
That's not proof of claim. I'm directly asking okay. proof of when, claim. When I'm when to put something together that this all works in a way that it can be duplicated. And then to okay. put it up on the public so that it's shown that it works right. What more do you need? So you're telling me that they're just bullshitting and we're making this up because we want to accomplish what? What I'm telling you is that when I hear a story, I go and I verify it and I get the okay. transcripts from the court. Okay, why don't, you, why don't you just listen to the shows where the moms call me up and say how they got their child back? What do you need from a piece of paper that you can't hear from an old the woman's mouth? Because it's verified on public record. That's no, 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 no. It's certified. Certified on public. Do you know the difference between certified and verified? I'm not asking a question. I'm verified means via voice. Verified, verified, verified means by the voice. The voice verified via voce. Okay, certified just means that piece of paper existed on a particular moment of time. Now what's on it? You can't hold anybody liable for a certified piece of paper. Nobody bears liability for the document, what's written on it. Verifiable, you can hold that man or woman verifiably because it came out of their mouth. When you get a court transcript, it says that it's verified. It does, by not, it does not, because everybody knows, especially Bill will tell you. He's had, I'm all sure, dozens of transcripts that were nothing that was said in the courtroom. Because whoever has the transcriber, especially the state, they could just say, well, I didn't understand how your funny accent or, or uh, this is what I was led to believe, this is what I heard. No, they could, they could take a transcript and they can manipulate it in any manner they wish to benefit them. It's their court. Just like Bill said, he's sovereign over his court. He can make that transcript reflect any way in any manner he wishes. That's exactly what the state does. Ask Bill if I'm lying. Yeah, you're right. They lie. So forget your stupid transcripts, buddy. Verify. Viva voce. You had the moms talking to me live on the air. They're not going to... They got, I got pictures of... Look at my website, broadmind.org. Look at the half black, half white guy. Look at the mom. Look at the four kids that are standing next to me in the snow in Canada. I bought all of them hockey jerseys because now I'm freaking Uncle Dad, Uncle Carl. One year anniversary. What, do you think we, we faked it? What, do you think I photoshopped it? What, do you think this woman, she had nothing better to do? See, I had somebody like you who, when I did my show two, three years ago, when I first started doing it on my own, somebody said, well, Hulk, uh, I don't know, any of your stuff works. I said, you know what? I'm a betting man. I'm from New York. I lived in Vegas a long You know what? Let's do this. How about until I could prove one case, the first mother or father who calls me up on the show, the first ones who call me up, regardless of how their kids were taken, if I don't get their kids back, I will never do another show. I will not do another show until I get their kids back. How's that? And he said, fine. He said, fine. That's a bet. And then I said, I don't have to ever hear anything from your dumbass mouth ever again, right? You'll, you'll leave my show forever. Leave me alone, right? He said, okay, fine. That's a bet. It took me 10 days. The first husband called me up. And when I called him after the show, I was like, oh, my God, he's a divine province guy. Oh, my God, he's an ex-porn star. Oh, my God. Drugs and oh, guns. How am I going to? Oh, my God. What, what did I get myself into? I said, okay, you know what? Call, don't, don't, don't panic. Fine. It'll be okay. You got a woman there. Just like, yeah, let me talk to the mom. I said, you know, it's all your damn fault because you married a nut job like this guy, right? She said, yes, I know, it's all my fault. I said, oh, good, God bless you, I could work with you. So every time the husband tried to chime in, I said, look, get his ass out of the room so I can work with you, lady. It took me 10 days to drill it into this woman. And she said she recorded every damn conversation I had with her. And I said, oh, my God, so when I go for the Nobel Peace Prize, you're going to bring those 
tapes up and you're going to see what a foul mouth like drunken sailor I am, right? And she's like, no, I never use that against you. I said, yeah, because a lot of times I said, look, I'll snap your husband in half and throw you to a wall. Don't make me come up the counter and kick in the ass. Just do what the hell I tell you to do. You ever want to see these kids? Just say this, not a damn thing else. Ten days I drilled it with her. Ten days. And then she came on, on the air on a Thursday, and she said she got her kids back on a Monday or Tuesday when I went to court. And I said to the guy, see, does that prove it? Are you going to shut the hell up? What more do you need from me? Just the case number. Let me see if I, if I could if I could find Gus, if Gus has got a case number. Hey, I'm here. He's the one who got me from Jonathan and Jesse's house that I got their four kids back. He, Gus was just like, he was like you, whoever's talking to me. He wanted to meet Jonathan. He wanted to see Jesse. He wanted to see the kids. He actually drove all the way up to Canada to meet me, Jonathan, and Jesse while we were standing there. And that picture that was taken. Gus was like you. Gus did not believe that he was like, this is too good to be true. He wanted to actually meet me. So he actually got in his car, rented a car, and came all the way up to Canada to meet me and Jonathan and Jesse. Okay, Carl, that's fine. All I want is the case number. That's it. She, you know, she wrote up the uh, the paperwork, and she, you know, she threatened to file a claim, and the paperwork looked solid enough that they just backed off. How, how are you supposed to get a claim number for that? Yeah, well, like I said, the only thing I guess they could they want, I guess, is the case number where the crown took the kids from them, which I guess I could get them the case number. But like I said, once they get the case number. I'm trying to think, what is he going to do? He's going to say, it's going to say Crown versus Jesse Arsenal and Jonathan Small or Jonathan Little. What are you going to establish by saying, okay, call, there was a case in New Brunswick back in uh, 2012, and what are you going to want to get from them from, like, family court? What documents do you think they're going to release to you? Because I can look at the docket. Okay, so you're going to see that the child was taken into custody back in November, December of, like, 2012, and it was released to the parents in April or May of 2013. I do not know what I'm going okay, to well, see. That's okay, well, I, okay, I Gus, 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 okay, just, just stop, dude. Gus, is this basically what he's going to say? How much information do you think Canada's going to release? Well, they're not going to really say anything because it involves kids. Yeah. I don't know what the – like I said, the woman – Jesse came on my show on Thursday. Some people actually wrote transcripts and put it on, on, on the Internet. And that, that website that you gave me, somebody took it down. That was, that was what Jesse actually, somebody actually transcribed word for word, even Jesse saying A, and then the crown did this A, and then we went on a whole A, and, and, and my goodness, and the A. You know, somebody actually literally wrote down all her, like, colorful euphemisms like that. And, 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 and like I said, and this guy actually wants to see something from the Canadian government saying that the reason why Jesse got back her kids is because she made a claim for her property. Okay, so they are guilty and innocent or dismissed about the case, and I just want to see the docket sold. If I had Jonathan on, if Jonathan, but Jonathan only has Skype, he doesn't have a home phone number anymore, he just does anything with Skype. Jonathan would tell you that not only when the deputies returned his guns, the deputy said to him, this is the first time the deputy, the sheriff's department said, this is the first time we could ever remember that we were ordered to give back the man his bullets. We were ordered to okay. give you back everything. Okay, that's great. Can I have the case number for that too, please? Right, that's what I'm saying. And then what do you think is going to say? Okay, fine, we'll get Jonathan. And, and what's your name and where can we get in touch with you? Dude, I don't even know your name. What's your name. What's your name and what's your phone number? And I'll have Jonathan call you. Here, I'll, uh, 
What's your name? What's your phone number? Look, we just, we just, dude, 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 we just want to, dude, we just want to verify who you are. We just want some proof. Give us a phone number. Prove that you're yeah, for real. You, I don't think I'm you're for real. Give you my, I'm going to give you my email so you can give me the case number and I can look it up. Well, why don't you give us your phone number? Why would I want you to have my phone number if you're not going to oh, verify? Oh, because you're not for real. Oh, because you're not for real. Okay, my phone is five four zero two four five zero three one eight. My social security number is one two six four two six one two six six two four two eight six. That's my social security number. My date of birth is ten twenty nineteen sixty three. Okay, that's nice. Okay, right. Because I'm not afraid of using my name and giving out any information. Okay. Now, so what's your name? No, dude. What's your name? What's your social security number? What's your date of birth? And what's your phone number? Ah, what you're afraid. Oh, that? you're very afraid. Oh, you're afraid. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? All right. Because this call is probably going to be shared with others. And I don't know at all who those others are. So what? So, Where's the media no, exchange? Oh, Why won't you give it to me? Until you break away from your fears, you will never be a man. Being a man is a lifestyle. It's being not afraid, just laying it all out there. That's right. what being a man is. What I do is a lifestyle. I tell you people, you're not going to win at court until you know how to act like a man. Until the judge witnesses in front of him that he's got a man in front of him. And the judge will ask him, what's my name? What's my date of birth? What's my social security number? Not a problem, dude. Here we go. Okay, that's I'm, an open I'm not court. attacking your lifestyle. All I want is a case number. That's all. Okay, all I want is your phone number. You can write down my email and you can send it to I me. know. You could hide behind. You could hide. You could hide. Look, dude, it's a lifestyle. Being a man is just laying it all out there for the public. Let the whole world see it. I expose myself to everybody and everything. There is nothing that I hide. Anybody come to my house anytime they wish. Bill? Yep, I'm here. What do you think? I think it deteriorated into a pissing contest. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.